had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Had to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and it's been almost six months since I've recorded an episode of this podcast. Uh, I took a bit of hiatus as I'm going back to school. But, you know, we have uh, a major romance on the big screen right now. So I uh, thought it'd be a great time to revive the podcast for a bit, especially because this movie, well, one of the movies we're talking about is from a director I did not have much faith in, in terms of directing romance, but um, I guess I was proven wrong, as I usually am, whatever I doubt these master filmmakers. Um, lesson learned, I guess, not to doubt Steven Spielberg. Uh, yeah, that's correct. We are talking about um, West Side Story, both the 1961 film starring Natalie Wood and um, Richard Boehmer, <laughs> and also the uh, 2021 new adaptation starring Rachel Zegler and and Ansel Elgort. Um, and I have with me here a very special guest, uh, Ned Baker of the Roll Calling Podcast. Hi, Ned. Hi, Manish. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for, um, for coming on the podcast. I am a huge, huge fan of Roll Calling. I listen to it like religiously. <laughs> um, <laughs> I even listened to your Westworld episode, which I've, I've watched Westworld season one years ago. Don't remember any of it, but I really enjoy you and a uh, friend of the show, Caroline Sita, um, co-host it together. And it's a lot of fun. It's really great. So I'm really glad that you could be here. So thanks yeah, so much. I'm delighted. And thanks to Caroline, our, our, our third half here, who <laughs> introduced us. Um, and she was on a previous episode of It Pod to Be You. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, so she was on The Wedding Singer from of course. Uh, February 2020, <laughs> a very different time in our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truly. Um, yeah. So it was like, yeah, a lot of fun to have her on. And I was um, very sweetly asked to be a guest on your episode. Um, and I talked about some of Millionaires back in the summer. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, yeah. yeah, really glad to return the favor and, and have you on the show. Yeah, well, it's my my pleasure being here. Um, yeah, can't wait because yeah, the whole yeah. the whole premise of your podcast is very fun to me, and I've listened to a handful of episodes. Uh, I think I jumped right into Phantom Thread first off. Yeah. I said, "Oh, this title <laughs> jumps out to me." And some yeah, yeah. Ones. all good. So, so yeah, and I'm beyond thrilled that you invited me here to talk about. Uh, the first West Side Story, at least, is one of my all-time favorite films. I guess I could start with that, yeah, that yeah. preface. I'm not coming here as some sort of dispassionate uh, <laughs> party here. I have a, a great love for that, for that movie and, uh, and was really excited to see the new version. Trepidatious, but excited. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and uh, I, I also love the original film. I've seen that so many times. And I was really excited about the remake just because I, remakes, I think, well, for one thing, I mean, we can sort of debate whether this is a remake or a new adaptation of the stage show. I, mean, yeah. I think it's more so 
the, more so an adaptation than a straight remake, I think. Uh, but um, in general, like whenever there's sort of a new version of something classic, I'm actually kind of, I embrace that because I think there's always something new to be gained from looking at an old piece of work and kind of um, tinkering with it a little. Um, and I also am like, well, you know, if the new version is bad and the original is still there. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm definitely not precious. I personally am not precious about my like childhood classics. I'm like, you know, do what you want with it. If I like it, I'll watch it. If I don't, I'll just ignore it. Ignore it. Um, I think that's but, an yeah. admirable quality. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, I would just say like, it seems that a lot of people are, as you say, precious about the childhood classics and defensive about, yeah. I think I understand the, the fear that a new version will both get it wrong in your mind and then also become the definitive version. Yeah. Yeah. People will say, Oh, I don't really care for that. You'll say, well, if you, if you had just watched the original one that I like, (laughs) then. So I think that's, that's my, my misgiving when they do new adaptations, remakes, Mm -hmm. any of those, but I think it is, I think it is a mature thing which you were able to do and sort of stow that because as you say, like, it's not actually going to damage anything damageable. What you like will still exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect at this either. I'm sure if, um, I'm sure there is something that I'm not thinking of that they did a new version, I would be very up in arms about it. But <laughs> I, I mean, because like, I know a lot of the hesitation with the remake was like, how do you remake like a movie that's like this influential, this classic? And like, um, it's Steven Spielberg who's never done a musical before. The many mm-hmm. of his movies had like sort of musical adjacent uh, sequences, um, and it's also like it's not really the story that I would picture him wanting to make forever and ever. But apparently, this has been a passion project for him for decades. Uh, so you know, we'll 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 get to that. I, I mean, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, and uh, but I'm I'm also excited to talk about the 1961 version just because like I think for all of its classics it's also like there's a lot of stuff that doesn't exactly hold up <laughs> to our 2021 standards and I'm also you know I try to watch older movies without sort of that like lens because it's not really fair I don't think but it's hard when there's so much that this movie does. So many decisions this movie makes that doesn't um, that doesn't quite gel in our times. But um, before we kind of get into all that, I just want to hear what, what's your history with West Side Story, either the show or the film. Like, were you ever in a production, or have you seen a production of it? I was never in a production. I do. Uh, I did. I did a, a handful of musicals in high school, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not especially gifted that way. No one really was in my high school, which was a very small high school. So yeah. I think something that is so technically demanding. You know, I think we did. We did. You're in town, which like is. You can just push through that on character. You don't really need to be an impressive singer or dancer. Yeah. Um, West Side Story. I don't think that is such a, a good candidate. So I've, I've never been in it. Uh, I have seen it on stage, although my introduction was definitely the film. And I do have a pretty vivid memory. More than any other movie musical, you know, I feel like I saw all the, you know, quote unquote, classic movie musicals as a child. But this was one that really, I felt this sort of build up to it, mainly because it has, 
you know, I was always like hearing murmurings of like, oh, the rumble, you know, is he old enough to watch the rumble? Like, yeah, yeah. So that was something, and it's interesting to have that be like built up in my mind before I even watch the movie. I'm like, what is a rumble? Why can't I, a seven-year-old, see it? I was probably eight or so when my parents were like, do you think we could do it? Yeah, I think we could do it. Let's do it. Let's rent West Side Story tonight. So we did the thing that, you know, speaking of precious about your childhood memories, lots of people are very precious about, which is, you know, we went to Blockbuster and we rented a VHS of it and we watched it that night. And I really dug it. I mean, I'm sure that I was very bored by like the last 45 minutes of it. Um, But it had a lot that I really enjoyed. You know, I think it was probably right around the time I saw I think I saw a production of Romeo and Juliet. So I had some context for the whole concept of adapting a story in a completely different setting. It has so much to dig into. I mean, I think it has as a sort of like, you know, like elementary school boy, not very in touch with one's emotions. I think it is still, uh, you know, the sort of de facto position is like, okay, romance stuff is dumb. Right. The sort of famous hook for Romeo and Juliet is, ah, no, but it has all this drama and sword fighting. And you definitely have that with this one. So it was probably just the coolness of the jets and the sharks that I was able to walk into initially. And I've just come back to it time and time again. You know, a couple of years will go by and I'll watch it. And, you know, more in high school and college be like, I'd revisit and say, oh, is this really is, does it hold up? Is it, and then be kind of like blown away by the power of it. Now, if you, we will get into, as I think you've hinted, like some of the things that are tricky about it, but I think that just like emotional effectiveness of it as a film is so powerful. I've also seen it on stage once that was really good, once that was quite bad. And another time I actually went to see it with Caroline at the opera. They did it at the Lyric Opera and it was very impressive, as I recall. Um, so I've seen it a handful of times. And uh, and then, yeah, I saw the, the new version this past week. Um, but the original, yeah, I, I, I had this, it had this sort of mythic quality in my house and then I did enjoy it and you know listen to the soundtrack a lot through high school how about yourself it's one of those movies where i really can't remember the first time i saw it uh just because i feel like you know as a young kid who liked musicals it just was like one of the ones you just heard about and kind of knew Mm -hmm. about and i think my way into it was actually uh Romeo plus Juliet, the sure. Pepper movie, because like that was when I really got really into like Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I must have been eight or 10 or whatever. And uh, um, and so I was just been being like, oh, okay, like, you know, reading about online or in some book or whatever about like, oh, yeah, West Side Stories is like musical version of Romeo and Juliet. Um, and so that, and like how like, the Baz Luhrmann movie was like more violent and, and so West Side Story was also like violent. Um, yeah. I really don't think it clicked for me until like high school, even as late as college, like um, during like whenever they would show like the, they would show it through the Fathom events screenings. I, I oh yeah. 
saw one of those. And, you know, I mean, when you see West Side Story on the big screen, it like really jumps out at you. I mean, the <sighs> opening sequence, you know, the prologue and the, you know, like the Jets ballet and all that. Um, it just like, it truly hits you like how radical it is that like these like tough guys just start like dancing in the streets and mm-hmm. you, know, like, you buy it because like the dancing, um, and I think this is emphasized even more in the in, in the 2021 version, but the dancing is so like athletic and violent almost and brutal that it doesn't feel like some, you know, elegant, beautiful thing that you see, you know, in, you know, in a, um, in a professional dance company. It's something you see that's very like yeah, gritty and, and grueling. Um, yeah, it, it feels like it has yeah. grace, but in the same way that like, you know, basketball players have yeah, grace. Exactly, it's this like very exactly. impressive, yeah. you know, powerful masculine and, um, energy to it. Yeah, exactly. And for me, as I, you know, I was of the opposite where I was like, I grew up loving romance movies. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, so to me, it was like even more powerful to have this like love central love story. Um, and over the years, I've, I feel like I, I get a little, I do get a little defensive over this movie because I think a lot of people kind of have the same take of like Tony Marie and boring, you know, everyone else is interesting and I'm wrong. Like, well, yeah, wrong. <laughs> I, I think that take is so, I think that take is really boring in itself because yes. I think that like, there's something really interesting about Tony and Maria um, that I think there's something really interesting about Roman and Juliet as well. Um, Cause I think Roman and Juliet also like those two characters got called kind of bland, but I think they're really interesting in how like also wrong. Completely yeah, disagree. Exactly. I know. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, I, I feel like I'm always kind of on the defensive of, especially Maria, especially Natalie, what is Maria? Because I think she, um, I think she kind of falls victim to the, like, the fact that, like, she didn't do her own singing, so people just automatically write off her performance. And then, of course, you know, she's in brown face, which is very uncomfortable to watch yes. now. Um, but I also think that, like, she's doing something really I think she's doing something really interesting in this movie. And I, I think that like, I think Natalie was an incredible actress in many of her roles, you know, Rebel Without a Cause, Bob and Carol, Ten and Alice, of course. Um, but, uh, and I, I do agree that like her casting doesn't quite work for like hundred percent, but I think she's doing something really, really fascinating in the movie. And I think she's working really hard to make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do think that there is something in the same way that like a musical goes at something, goes at everything non-literally. I mean, you know, it's all figurative, you know, the, 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 the jet sort of like, whatever you would call that dance moving down the street is figurative for this sort of like gang movement. Yeah. And the whole romance itself, just like Romeo and Juliet feels like it is, it is wrong to just dissect it literally. Like you're missing sort of the point of how it, how it, it captures not a not a literal truth, but a sort of an emotional truth of this like absolutely exhilarating young love. Mm-hmm. And I think honestly, like the two big Romeo and Juliet movies, like Romeo plus Juliet, the Zeffirelli nineteen sixty eight Romeo and Juliet, this nineteen sixty one West Side Story, and the twenty twenty one West Side Story. I would say all are doing good things to capture that like that just like 
addled, head spinning, like impulsive, like heart forward, just falling for someone in a way where you just like, you're like, you you lift off the ground. Yeah. And I think that Natalie Wood's performance is like, it's probably easy to make fun of. I mean, there's so much in this movie that if you want to make fun of it, like there's, there's easy ammo for you. Right. And like, you, you know, the, the graceful gangsters is like part of it, but the, the, like her sort of like wide eyed focused, like pure, she's just like radiating like pure affection and, and belief and faith and optimism. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's really, I think it's really like tonally on the nose for what she needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I agree. She's totally on the wavelength of this movie. And, you know, what I find so interesting about the, you know, what you said about, you know, um, this like puppy love kind of thing. It's like these characters are archetypes. I like, I, I feel like there's certain love stories, especially like in, in cinema where you just have to buy, you just have to buy the love story mm-hmm. because the movie's not interested in courtship is interested in like the after effects of courtship where it's just like, okay, these two are in love now, like, what do we do with it? And I think West Side Story is a great example of that because they, they only have, you know, their initial meeting at the at the gym, at the dance. And there's still, like, this bite that these two kids are, like, willing to throw, throw everything away for each other. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then the rest of the movie just doesn't work because then yeah. it's like, well, then, you know, why even why even care about the rumble? Like, why would even, like, why would Tony even go try to stop it? Why would, you know... Tina do this or Bernardo do that. It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. So you just have to like buy it because like it's your like price of admission. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. The the movie. Totally. You just have to basically buy it in the magical sense of like, yeah, she sees him and then he sees her and the rest of the world goes out of focus. And then like the lights dim on yeah. them and the little like twinkly red and green lights like fall around them and like the dance goes away and they do this little dance before speaking snap snap exactly oh i I think it's it's so wondrous and the effect just the full commitment to being like the rest of the world goes dark and it just creates this beautiful image you have these like three other couples around who are softly lit i don't i'm not a pro about movie lighting but the lighting in this movie is unbelievably good there are so many good lighting moments and they do important work i think you know maybe most notably right there where you are just like it's magic they've entered their own world there is instantly a connection no courtship is needed and that if you're going to do romeo and juliet is like what you're signing on to do like if you want to do people who like slowly start to learn about each other like do another story this is not that (laughs) um but i think it's a really smart way to adapt that i mean i think as an active adaptation as someone you know like you who likes romeo and juliet i think there are so many like brilliant ways of bringing that story into the 20th century into the mid 20th century and uh yeah yeah, the, the way they handle the dance is like totally one of them so as someone who's kind of been with this material over the years, how has your um, lens over this love story changed? Because like for me, when I was younger, I was totally like, wow, this is like true love. This is it, you know? And now older, I'm like, okay, these are just like two teenagers who just like, you know, they kind of rush into, you know, like 
I mean, not just Tony Maria, but everyone else. These are just kids who have way too much free time, way not enough structure, and just all this like pent up aggression and confusion, and they're just like having all these like you know catastrophic. They're making all these catastrophic decisions over a period of like 36 hours or whatever, or 40 or 24 hours. And um, it's, it's like, not that I really thought, not that I really like can, I empathize a little bit more with, you know, the police in, in the movie. Cause I'm like, these kids are just like rooting their lives for nothing. Um, but it's like, I still have that, like, I still feel like, oh, wow, like, I really, I empathize with, with the kids, because I'm like, they're just like, have so much they need to express without any tools or anything to express it. But they're also making all these decisions that are like ruinous. But I was wondering if you have that same experience of like changing your interpretation of the movie, like as you get older. Completely. And it is so, it is so interesting to hear you use. You're just saying exactly the kind of things that have really struck me, particularly in the last 10 years. I mean, I think like as a teenager, I maybe didn't have perspective on this. I was just like, it's love, it's hate, it's violence, it's, it's, you know, romance, it's passion. And I really, there was like one viewing that I did in college that really like, I just clicked into this idea of, play and it was like g officer krupke that like keyed me into it and only this time did i realize like the same thing happens for tony and maria when they do one hand one heart it's like they're playing a they're literally playing a dress-up game yeah and they and i think this is a brilliant thing romeo and juliet actually get married with friar lawrence i think it's a really smart adaptation to be like they have no they don't exactly have an accomplice in the same way. They marry themselves in like a play act. They play act getting married, but it carries the emotional weight. And this, that was the moment of my, my viewing that I did tonight that hit me the most of the 1961 is when they have been doing this, like, that's Riff, that's, that's my papa. You know, tell her she's not, losing, she's not getting a daughter. She's getting rid of a son. And yeah. they're lining up. He's got his top hat and she's got her little bridal veil. And they're lining up the mannequins and they, like, pause and simultaneously both realize what they've done and are doing. And they, like, turn and look at each other slowly. It is such an unbelievable shot yeah. and a little bit of blocking and bit of acting that they suddenly like it's charged because I think, I think what you're talking about, about it being about sort of two different facets of teenagers who have, as I think you said, like no structure, no, no real visible support. I mean, you have doc, but it's sort of questionable, like how much useless. (laughs) (laughs) I like doc. I love his lines. I love his perspective. His like, I mean, he's like, sees the same things that you and I are seeing here and that makes him valuable, but he's, he's not helpful. So essentially they have no support. Um, They have doc and they have the, the cops who are pricks and they are exploding with energy. And I really see the romance and the, gang war as just two sides of the same like irrational coin you know just like bam i love you bam i hate you like it's marriage it's a war it's a blood war it's killing each other and both the stories are about not knowing what to do with your energy and then trying something and then just being like caught up in the consequences 
Yeah. And just being sort of victims of those consequences. And all the way through it, like you just get this sense of they're not having outlets. Um, there's a line. I don't know if it's in the I can't actually now remember if I just saw this in the movie. Because I, I reread the the play script. It's not right in front of me, but it's like it's like I think it's an Anita line about like uh that boy, that brother of yours is so healthy after a fight. He has to like get out his feelings. Yeah. And she gets it. She gets that like all these people just have energy they don't know what to do with. And they are playing with real stakes, but they also are constantly like playing games and playing dress up and doing impressions. And yeah, that is totally, I'm afraid now, maybe I just restated what you said, but like. No, because I, I asked you a question and answered it myself. <laughs> Sure. But yeah, I, I totally think you're right on that. Like, it is a brilliant look at the way in which energy is like exploding out of youths. And they sometimes that can be beautiful and sometimes it can be disastrous. And, you know, more than likely will be like a little bit of both. And yeah, I think it, it is a really smart in the way it like looks at that. Yeah, you know, you you know, you bring up one hand, one heart, and I think as I get older, the more that song in particular, that sequence really sticks out to me because I used to just think of it as like, you know, just like a love song, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, because like my, you know, their their little like play wedding, I find to be actually really sad because I think slowly they start to realize that they're probably never going to have this wedding because there's yeah. no way that you know. That's definitely not Bernardo and Riff are going to be there to like stand up with them as like, you know, in support of this marriage, just because I just, I, I think that's when they start to realize how doomed their romance is and that maybe they're not expecting to like have it involved death, but like expecting that, like, they might just have to like run away and not be with their family anymore. That there's like, yeah there's like a very slim chance of them like uniting both of these gangs. Yeah. Um, and oh, you're totally uh, making me sad. Just saying that I'm sorry. like, yeah, no, it's, it's a beautiful, <laughs> sad story. I remember like reading about sort of like the, how they change the order of the songs in the 1961 version, where it's like mm-hmm. all the happy songs come first. And then they just, it's like, I remember reading somewhere that they wanted a, like a steady decline of the mood. And so that mm-hmm. it's like a constant, you know, escalation of all this. And I've never understood why they would put I feel pretty after the rumble. Cause I'm like, I want to have, I don't want to go have the up and down, which I think makes sense on stage because, um, you know, you don't want the audience, I guess, to like check out. So you got to like, also like pepper in some like dance numbers. Yeah. I, um, but I think I in think... the movie, it works to me. The, it, well, having seen the new one where they kind of do go back to the stage show order, it makes sense and I understand it. But I think with the 1961, it's like, I like that. It's like one hand, one heart is the beginning of, you know, this decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's just this like, understanding that like they're not going to it's just not going to be a happy in-laws situation yeah (laughs) yeah it's just heartbreaking i think you're so i think you're totally right that there is some i i can't i don't have a full theory for this and i can't fully explain why but like on in a theater when you're all in the room together it makes more sense to throw in some lightheartedness and comic relief i mean i feel pretty is kind of that i i I think i feel pretty coming after the rumble is always going to be sort of 
inherently tragic. Yeah, of course. You're just watching someone. But I think it is that way also. I think that is a structural adaptation that matches Romeo and Juliet because after after the sword fight where Tybalt and Mercutio both die and Romeo is like, oh, I got to fuck off out of here. You have Juliet. I don't know it that well, but she's like, she has this like sweet, like um, when I shall die, take him and cut him out of the stars. Yeah, she has this like beautiful little. So I see that decision. The one that's crazy to me to learn from being introduced via the 1961 movie is that cool and G officer Krupke are switched. Yeah. And I've, so I've seen it on stage three times. It is, that's how it is. G officer Krupke is in the second act after Riff's death, which is kind of inconceivable when you've been introduced via the movie. Right. It, it does work. I think on stage to put in something fun and like it just it's it, it is it is a welcome break, um, but they have really I think made the right decision in the 1961 movie switching those. So essentially, they they literally are like swapped in position, and that's one of the few notable differences between the stage musical and the 1961 book. Yeah, I yeah. think that they have G. Officer Krupke becomes something they do while they're waiting for the sharks to show up for the war council and then cool becomes how they process their like intense bursting at the seams, grief and frustration and anger at the death of riff. And I think that makes such a cool dramatic beat out of cool. Like that song is when it just means like, I know you're anxious to do the war council. That's interesting. But what it is in the movie is like so fraught and loaded and, and just the like full body agony of it all is just like, it's amazing to behold. And it really feels, again, it's like the first half feels kind of sunny. I mean, I know there's nighttime scenes in the first half, but then the second half really feels like we're in the long night here. It's cold yeah. and I dark. Mean, in the film, if I remember correctly, it feels like the entire last hour and a half is like over a period of like six hours at night. Totally. Right? And it's just like, yeah. um, it's really just... Um, yeah it's it's just it's like i love when musicals do this where it's like the second act is like two hours and like real and like, mm-hmm. like two hours like within the story and you're just like seeing every little minute of this time and just like really just like in in with the characters um and i think west side yeah. story is a great example of that um i i do want to switch gears a little and talk about our you know our, our b couple anita and bernardo and also talk about why like there isn't really there's like no love story in in the jet side i mean like you do have graziella and the other one but like they're not really they're not that they're not that they don't have they're not as prominent as anita is no um but i do love anita and bernardo and i think that they're uh i think they're a fascinating couple as well because um they just have so much like heat to them and totally and to kind of counteract the sort of archetypal love at first sight thing with tony maria they have like a history together Mm -hmm. um which i find really interesting yes and there's it's it's so sexy like every minute they're on screen together (laughs) um i think those i think uh rita moreno and and George Shakiris are like unbelievable as individuals yeah. and as an on-screen couple. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just is like, I think you're right. It, it sets a really nice counterpoint to 
what feels like first love. We don't know if it is for Tony. It, it, it's explicitly not for Romeo in the original. We don't know what it is for right. me, but it definitely like it feels like very innocent and new. And at the same time, you have like like people who really know each other's rhythms and and know how to push each other's buttons, and we see that a lot. Um, it it is really key because we we get much less of the sharks generally. So our, our window in is like through Bernardo and that window and, and Anita is just a great, a great character. Um, yeah, their, their romance is interesting. It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it is a torturous thing to do. It's another brilliant adaptation because you don't have, you, you know, Tybalt doesn't have a romance in the, yeah. the closest analog is like, uh, you know, Juliet's nurse expresses that she was extremely fond of Tybalt, but to take that and make it like actually one little family unit, just like Bernardo, his sister, his lover. And to have that be like rent asunder, it, it really, it makes, you know, Anita's whole dramatic struggle the whole time to like, accept from a place of like a little bit more, like, more world weariness than than what maria has it makes it really fraught and it makes her sort of ultimate decisions and how those play into the kind of like final tragedy of errors um it makes those really earned you're just like yeah it's i I believe that you're hurting this was like your like even though she and bernardo have like sort of a constant like bickering thing like the love between them is so strong and so like no one will begrudge her her vindictiveness at the end. They are they're bickering. As you mentioned, like I love that it translates to America, which is a, I think a song that has so much so many layers to it. Um, totally. And even there, um, you know, they're dancing at the uh, at the dance and all that. But I, I think that there's you know the the brilliance of America is that it's about like eight different things at once. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's yes. about the immigrant experience. It's about the American dream, but it's also this like, you know, battle the sexes, boy versus girl thing where it's like, it's they're not even, it's like in some interpretations of it, you could even say that like, they're not even like the point of the song isn't even about like America. It's about like this relationship. And yeah, there's like a lover squabble at yeah, the center of it. Exactly. It's very personal. I think it's really, I think it's really, really smart. And, um, I, I've never seen this. I've never seen a production of of the musical, but I would really hate to watch the original version of the song, which is like Anita and some like random shark girl. I'm like that. I was like, I'm so glad that that is. Uh, I, I'm so glad that people are doing it the, the movie way now because I'm like, yeah. just, it just makes it more more sense. Um, yes, it's it. It just it adds more and it gives you a window into the sharks and yeah, yeah. it's just. And then I, I also want to touch upon you know this the vindictive that you mentioned because. Because, like, I think one thing that I always am um, kind of, like, unpacking is, like, you know, when, you know, when Maria finds out that Tony killed Bernardo and she kind of decides to, you know, still love Tony after that. And I think it's a decision that a lot of audience members have had issues with even I sometimes I'm like, I don't know if it quite really 
makes sense for that mm-hmm. to be the story. The way, it's like I it's one of those things where it's like the story has to be the how the story is. So that's yeah. it has to happen. Um, it happens fast. It happens fast. And uh, but I also think that like you know the a boy like that. I have a love sequence, which is probably my favorite song in the show. I think that's such a powerful song that you buy it, and yeah. you also buy that Anita is like wants to support Maria even if she just wants to like even though even if she hates every jet which she has the right to mm-hmm. um, especially Tony and it's like this like push and pull between her like selflessness and her like vindictiveness and I find that totally. to be really you know for a character that can just be comic relief and just sort of like the hot sexy one I think her character actually has a lot of depth oh yeah and I think I think honestly that like that you know and I think Rita Moreno really like is a serious candidate for like best performance in the film. There are yeah. a ton of great ones. It's going to be hard to pick a favorite, but like yeah. she, did she win an award for this? Yeah. Maybe? She won the Oscar won? for it. Great. Well, I think well-deserved. She's, yeah. she, she really, really um, <laughs> digs into all of those things that we talked about. It's like, it's, you know, she's got this like tempestuous energy, but like a st- powerful sense of like loyalty is one of her defining traits. She has this like wicked sense of humor. She is not overly concerned with being nice. Uh, yeah. She there's, I mean, I could just go on and on about all the different like notes that she specifically layers in there. And I do think she kind of leaves like the biggest shoes to fill uh, in the like central cast when it comes to like other people who are going to play that role. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I totally agree with that hundred percent. And um, it's like, I, th- I find it to be so um, it's so heartbreaking to me. Anita's arc in the movie. And um, because I think that it's like, it's 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 i think in some ways kind of like we were talking earlier about like the play acting it's almost like she didn't really believe that like these gangs were actually that dangerous you know she thought they mm-hmm. had their little fights whatever but totally. that like it's almost just like you know macho posturing and then as she starts to realize how real it's become over the last you know 24 hours i think that's really it's really sad to see that like this is the fate that she had to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the like the sort of like rape or implied rape analog scene yeah. when she goes to docs to take a message to Tony and is intercepted by the jets who I think the most charitable thing you could say are like deeply fraught with grief and fear of reprisal. But then yeah. there's this, a scene that has always been and will always be in this and in every adaptation, like agonizing, like unwatchable. I mean, I, you know, I watch it. It's part of the movie and right, but, right. like, but it's, it is a, I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny that like, probably when I was a kid, like the thing my parents were most concerned about is like watching a scene where two guys stab each other. But like, uh-huh. this is a fucked up scene and it is like, it is a, it is a very viscerally affecting depiction of sexual assault, of like horrifying gang rape sexual assault um, as, as basically like 
as intense as you can get with that in a mid 20th century musical. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, shockingly so at the time. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it is such an interesting thing also to have be like sort of the final scene that features all the jets who have, you know, kind of been your like, I mean, I think you always understand this is a, an unfair conflict with no real villain in it, but like you've been following a lot of these guys, you've seen them as like, you know, they're like innocent play acting, like boys side. And then like, here they are perpetrating this like horrible, horrible act upon a person who's trying to do the right thing. And it's, it's so jarring and it's so drives home that like, this is a, this is a bad, unsustainable and toxic dynamic here. Like this, this is, these people inhabit and perpetuate this like, very unforgiving world. Um, it's a very, it's a very powerful scene, and it's a, it's a crazy, just a crazy thing to like watch and process every time. And uh, Reed Moreno yeah. does a, a a great job acting it, and uh, and it like it's it's kind of like it, it's interesting because that causes the misunderstanding that in Romeo and Juliet is more like sort of an unfortunate fluke in this. Like it's timing. Like, yeah. Yes, exactly. And in, and in this becomes like the consequence of people's bad actions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, w- one thing I really love about West Side Story is this idea of just like, everything is a, it's a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing leads to the next in a very direct way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know that that scene it's it's horrifying, and to me it's also extremely horrifying in the implications of like these guys might not individually you know perpetrate an assault like that, but together they can easily kind of get in that like mindset of just like mm-hmm. wanting to like hurt this like innocent woman for absolutely no reason, and that like because I've heard people be like, oh, like you know, West Side Story is more you know lean like leans more towards the sides of the jets they have more songs they have more characters you know but i'm also like but that scene is kind of like it villainizes them once and for all where you don't have any sympathy for and then you can't really align yourself with the jets after that because like it's so senseless um Mm -hmm. and and graphic and, and horrible um yeah and you see there's like there's nothing romantic about like being a group that's formed on like the constant threat of doing violence right exactly you know? exactly you see um, the appeal of it early on and then at the end you see the sort of like horrible upshot of it is like if you are a group that's sort of constantly implicitly threatening violence to everyone then like you're gonna do it and that's yeah up. yeah and i mean again it's like the same thing of like play acting versus like you know doing it for real which is that like now that they've even in the rumble a lot of that is if i remember correctly i feel like a lot of the rumble it's almost like the deaths happen almost by accident right like mm-hmm. I, don't, I wouldn't say there's any like straight out murder or anything but this is an act that they're actually like doing and they have the intent to do it and they're going to do it and they would have done it if they weren't stopped um and i think that's that's highlighted even more in the 2021 version in a way that i find extremely unsettling but very dramatically interesting um but um yeah it's just this idea of like you know this action leads to even more death and um leads to i think one of the best endings in in a a movie musical um maria's sort of like how many bullets are left you know speech and Mm -hmm. 
this idea of like she was this innocent young girl and now she has witnessed hate and you know firsthand and she's just can become just as violent as the rest of them and i just find it interesting that you know um this movie doesn't end with Roman and Juliet dying like like the like like the Shakespeare play does. Um, mm-hmm. Maria survives and goes on to live an uncertain future. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that or anything of like what you imagine, you know, happens after the movie ends. Oh gosh, it's so funny that I have not I have not really considered what comes after it in the same way that with Romeo and Juliet, I just see it as this little like music box that you yeah. know, opens and then shuts. I think we see the sort of tragedy. It's almost like her innocence has been sacrificed on the altar of making the gang kind of understand. I mean, I, yeah. I've always taken a slightly optimistic look at, I think that this movie and the Romeo and Juliet play imply a reconciliation of the warring parties um, in in a sense of like, you kind of get a one-two punch of like, we lost our leaders tragically. And then we lost people who had like no business even being involved in this. And with that, you know, I, you get this beautiful little gesture in both movies. Although I think uh, it, it interestingly is like, a little subtler and more organic in the 61 version where a couple jets go to pick up Tony's body. And as he, they start to like lose their balance a little bit, two sharks just sort of like impulsively go forward and stabilize him. And they like sort of look at each other, another like very powerful eye contact moment. And they lift him up and carry him out. And I think the sort of cost has been that Maria, who's kind of the most pure, heart at the center of this and that's true of natalie wood with her performance and it's totally true of like rachel ziegler in the new one she's also just like this like pure heart at the center of it that she loses that innocent faith that optimism and is now like a grieving widow who you know as she says like i too can hate now yeah um and that's the sort of like that's the tragedy of her i don't know I, I don't <laughs> I don't have a conjecture on what her like her life is like, yeah. but we definitely we definitely have a sense that like she's been irreparably scarred by this. Yeah, the reason why I ask is that I think um a couple of years ago when I watched this movie, I became obsessed with what Maria what happens to Maria after. Mm-hmm. Um and I was like, I would imagine that like that like she, I don't know, she never really fell in love again she never got married she like tries to become like a, a teacher or something she just like tries to like live a life it's a very like quiet sad life but like mm-hmm. um, in a way that she's just like not to like punish her further but like i just imagine that like she would just kind of live her life but in a more solemn way and um and that's like the, the tragedies of this woman who had so much you know who could represent this american dream just had it had a squashed out of her um but i i do agree that like there's something about like her innocence being lost in this way that really shakes everyone um because even even anita is innocent but she's also like um she's more worldly within this sort of like gang vibe, like this gang scenario. Like she, yeah. you know, um, whereas like Maria is just like this bright eyed, you know, young girl. Totally. Got fell in love. That's all she did. And, and it's, um, it kind of sh- shakes everyone. And 
Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, I love the ending of West Side Story. And I feel like West Side Story, correct me, you're the, you know more about musical theater than I do, definitely. Uh, maybe. Sure. <laughs> For sure. But like, I can't think of another musical that doesn't have like a big number at the end. Um, and West Side Story doesn't. It just, I think A Boy Like That is the last song. Mm-hmm. And then it just ends with this like monologue. And yeah. It's very, it's, you get I mean, like, to a, me, it seems very um, unusual. Yeah. To end with like, you get, you get like a 12 second reprise of somewhere that like literally ends with like the life leaving Tony's body, which right, is right. so, so agonizing. And yeah, to end with a monologue, that is interesting. I, cannot immediately think of a counterexample there where you really don't have like a full song within the last 10 minutes. You just have this drama. I'm sure that someone listening who actually knows musicals obsessively <laughs> is going to be like, you fool, there's 10 of them. But, yeah. um, but no, I can't immediately like think of any. And it is like very powerful. Although you do get, you know, the music, these like beautiful strings, this like wonderful Leonard Bernstein music that like has now just like so deeply permeated the deepest recesses of my brain um, just comes in and kind of like swells away. But yeah, it's like, there are no words for it at the very, very end, which is, yeah, I think very distinctive and powerful. Well, I think this is a good place to kind of wrap up on the 1961 film. Um, and I think we can take a short little break and then we'll move on to Steven Spielberg's 2021 adaptation. Tonight, tonight, it all began tonight. I saw you and the world went away. Tonight, tonight, there's only you. What you are, what you do, what you say Today, all day, I had the feeling A miracle would happen I know now I was right For here you are And what was just a world is a And we are back. Um, we're going to be talking now about the 2021 adaptation. I just want to kind of put this out there. Um, Ansel Elgort, the star of the film, was accused of some pretty credible and severe um, sexual assault crimes. Uh, he was cast in the film, you know, three years ago. The film itself was shot way before the allegations came out, but it's kind of... Um, cast a shadow over the film over the last you know, year and a half, especially with West Side Story being delayed a year uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I myself tried to watch this movie objectively not, you know, because I wanted to judge the performance he gave, you know, before, you know, any of this came out uh, a little hard though. Um, mm. Cause he just, he, unfortunately he's uh, just, a black hole in this movie. Um, I think even without all that, uh, but I just want to mention that because, you know, it's worth mentioning. Um, I hope that he faces some accountability for, uh, for his actions and that, you know, his, um, 
his victims, his survivors get you know, peace and justice as they um, as they wish for. But um, I just, yeah, I felt like I had to bring that up just because it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty awful the stuff that he's been accused of, uh, and I didn't want to not mention it because um, we are going to be talking about him. You know, he's the star of the movie, but um, just wanted to make sure that you know. Just wanted to make sure that it was out there that I believe his survivors and I uh, wish him nothing but accountability and consequences. Yeah. But having said that, I wanted to ask you in general your opinion about the 2021 film because um, I actually don't know if I saw your reaction online or not or if you posted it, but I'm, so I've been curious <laughs> for the last week. I, I, I have not posted about it online. Okay. I, I don't so much know what yours is either. Uh, so I'm excited to have this conversation. Okay. <laughs> I, I would say that I had generally a favorable reaction to it. I mean, I had a good time in the theater. I was very happy watching this musical. I would call it basically like a totally solid, enjoyable adaptation of this you know it's like it, it, particularly thinking in the theater mold where it's like somebody does another production of something that's just right. another production it's just there's another one exactly. um it's not you know doesn't replace anything it just is another go and i thought there was a lot to love about this one i definitely think there is plenty to critique about sure. it um but there's also some things that it gets right that were really wonderful. And um, particularly, uh, you know, to, 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 to start with one of the things, the sort of aspect of it that I think is most, like most makes the argument that you could call it like an urgent thing. I mean, it's like a, an adaptation, another version of an old musical is that like urgent. I think the closest it comes to that sort of neatly falls in with one of the shortcomings of the original, which um, as we've sort of alluded to many times, like almost, you know, half the characters are Puerto Rican and in that original film, because they were, because there was no real like standard of casting. Yeah. uh, Like Latino actors as Latino characters. Um, And because they were like, we're going to, cast the famous people we know and it was the 61 and there was a racist system so the only people who had had the opportunity to become famous with a few exceptions like notably Rita Moreno um, but most of those Latino characters are played by like white or European actors um, and who as we said like have give good performances I think it's it's important in remembering the musical that like there's an alternative version where they would have just made this, they like would have set it in like outsider's world and made it like he's a greaser. She's a soch. you know, they could have made this like an all white musical. And yeah. Instead they chose to tell a story to tell the stories of Puerto Rican people that said it was all just a bunch of, you know, New York Jewish guys writing it. They cast a lot of white people to play a lot of those roles. And in the 2021 film, the aspect of it that I find most refreshing and urgent is that it has really like made the sort of representation a lot more uh, equitable and like 
even-handed in sort of three key ways. They have like written out a lot more scenes that involve sharks. Bernardo and Chino in particular get more depth. Yeah. They have it greatly increased the amount of uh, Spanish language dialogue in it, which is presented unsubtitled, something that was um, not uh, not excessive or too, that I thought was a really good decision, but still one that, you know, pleasantly surprised me. Yeah. Um, and they have actually held themselves to a standard of casting, you know, Latino, Latinx uh, actors in all these roles. And so what you get of those characters is really satisfying in the new one. Um, there are other adaptation choices I find interesting. We can get into which of them I find good interesting, which I find bad interesting. Uh, but um, that particular like creative mission I thought was really worthwhile. Uh, I think the cast is pretty generally pretty terrific. I find um, the guys playing Riff and Bernardo in particular to be like, super watchable i just love both of those performances um and uh visually i think the movie is really delicious it's great it i mean like the 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 original one is as well and i think maybe still like more so to me at least in a more iconic way but um but the way the new one is shot is beautiful and uh and the choreography is great so yeah a lot to lot to love there how about you yeah i love this movie um, cool. I was, I was really, really excited about it. I mean, this was like my most anticipated movie of the year, um, or at least like one of uh, my top three, at least, uh, mm-hmm. just because, as I mentioned sort of in the intro, like the idea of Steven Spielberg, who I consider very like, you know, little boy director, you know, <laughs> like shark I think movie, the last, dinosaur movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's like or he's like a dad director with like minority report in the post and mm-hmm. you know um and, and 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 all that so i just feel like the idea of him doing a musical that's set in 19 in the 1950s that's mainly about romance and all that it's like what would that what does that even look like like mm-hmm. as i mentioned a boy like that i have a lot of my favorite sequence in the movie i was like i can't imagine i don't think i've not since the color purple, but I remember a, a Spielberg movie with two women talking together in one scene like that. You <laughs> yeah, know, I, I don't have an immediate counterexample. You know, like I mean, maybe the post. I think the, the post definitely does actually, because you know, Meryl Streep's the lead in the post. So there's, and then she has scenes with um, Alison Brie. So okay, there's that. But like, I'll take your word for it. But I mean, I just it's just it's so alien to me, um, and um, I just like. Just, I just was so curious. Um, but I definitely agree with you that, like, if there's a urgent reason that this movie is necessary, it's the casting of it and to sort of correct that, you know, the sort of the, the racist practice of the 1960s where they just kind of cast. I mean, yeah, like, even, but even like Rita Moreno, like, they put brown skin on her just to make her even yeah. more darker. Um, because, I, I mean, we can that's a horrible decision in itself. Um, but I think that like to, you know, have Rachel Zegler and Aaron DuBose and, and all these, you know, wonderfully talented actors in the roles of the sharks. Um, it just like makes, you know, David Alvarez who's like a Broadway veteran. Um, I think, I think, I think most of the people in this movie are Broadway veterans, um, but it's just like, it's so, 
it just feels very cool to have this like diverse cast that represents what this neighborhood was probably like back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, to also give opportunities to all these like incredible actors to like have this like big showcase, um, especially someone like Rachel Zegler, which is like this, her like first major role. I think she was like found on YouTube or something. Like she's one of those like, you know, dream stories where it's just like this girl was picked out of obscurity to have the star making performance and then like just completely wow. like shreds it. Totally. totally. <laughs> you know, um, she's, she's terrific. And I also think this movie does a lot, like, does a lot to beef up Maria and Bernardo and Anita and, 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 and Chino, especially. And I'm like, yeah, like if any movie is necessary, I don't, I don't like this idea of like when people are like, Oh, this movie wasn't necessary at all. Cause I'm like, movies are movies are art. They don't have to be necessary. Yeah. Um, they just have to like fulfill some like emotional artistic, you know, thing. Yeah. But if this movie is necessary, it's for Maria and for Rachel Zegler and for Chino and for Anita and Bernardo. Um, and I love that this, I love the dialogue that isn't subtitled because you understand what they're saying, you know, just emotionally, you understand it. And um, because Spielberg's direction is so, um, so classy and so elegant and these performances are so invested and so committed and so um, resonant that, you know, everything comes across well. And, um, I love this sort of like through line of people being like, you have to speak English and that's sort of just getting ignored mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. because that's very true in bilingual households where sometimes people are like, Oh, we should speak English because we want to practice it. And then no one speaks English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, so, I mean, we don't have to, I've, I want to hear what your critiques are of, of the movie as an adaptation. Um, because like, I, I like, I walked away with this movie being like perfect 10 out of 10, you know, but you know, the more you think about these things, like the movie left me on such a high that I was like, no flaws, perfect. But then, you know, the more you think about things, there's things that like, maybe I wouldn't call them flaws, but I might call them just like things that I, I would have done differently or things that are worth, you know, thinking about. So, you know, what, what sticks out to you the most? Uh, what sticks what sticks out to me the most? Um, th- this is a funny thing for me to be like. I, I mean, o- overall, uh, oh, oh, like the structure of the thing. You still have the same major events. You still have the same songs. And yet, I feel like lots was changed in ways where I'm like, I'm not sure that we were served by that change. Like it seemed like everything kind of needed to be redone a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like all, almost all the dialogue has been swapped out, even in scenes where it's been swapped out for like a very similar alternate version of the same thing. Um, but f- things, for example, like, like Tony and Maria going on a date to the cloisters up in wherever that is in the North of New York city. Um, and like riding on the subway together, there was something about like, I, I mentioned this to a friend of mine that they're like, there was one shot when they were riding on the subway and Tony was kind of like tapping his thighs and looking around. And I was like, I, I just don't think this is kind of tied into what I mentioned earlier about like this figurative look at like head over heels, falling in love that I'm like, I don't know that you, I need to see Romeo and Juliet go on a date where yeah. they have even a single moment to be bored 
or like not sure what to do. Like the energy we see, the, what they do with the balcony scene, the, the, the first version of tonight with the architecture of the, like the fire escape and him walking around and, and him not being able to get through this grate to her. And so him like walking over to another section and then them having what sort of looks like the classic Romeo and Juliet balcony. I'm like, that is great. And you just feel they're like, their energy is like pulsing. Yeah, at each other. Yeah. I'm like, that is a great take on this story having them like sit next to each other on the subway and kind of like look around at stuff idly i'm like i don't know about that and it 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 results in them it just gives them another setting to have one hand one heart in but i'm like uh i don't know i thought the bridal shop and the mannequins is so great i'm not sure i needed that to be changed and i'm not sure what was what was gained um another there's one, you know, and there are some other ones where I'm like, oh, I see what was gained, but I'm not sure if it was like ultimately a net positive. I mean, the moving, they move cool. They keep G. Officer Krupke in the sort of first half. They move cool up and they create a very neat new sort of beat where they're doing something I do like where they're sort of following this gun instead of in the original musical where it's like Chino got a gun. He's looking for you. You actually follow the gun from riff, like buying it from these guys. And then Tony having it for a second riff takes it to the rumble. It gets lost in the scramble. Chino picks it up. You see him like walking around with it. And then it finally, like he kills Tony with it. I thought that was a cool thing. Yeah. And what they do with cool is uh, make it this conflict where Tony is trying to stop Riff from having it. It's a very neat number. It's staged in this cool, like, collapsing warehouse over the water where they're jumping on these holes and, like, flipping on poles and things. And that's it's all very neat. cool, yeah. It's a very cool number, and it creates a new interesting beat in their relationship. But then I'm like... The thing is, what cool was in the in the sixty one film is more powerful to me. Like what it explores and how it yeah. keeps the jets arc going, uh, it, it does more for me than a scene where Tony's like, "Hey, give me that gun," and ultimately it's just Riff being like, "No." So those were some changes that um, that I didn't like. I I also felt like this is just sort of maybe this is just me being too to like Twitter politics, like needles going, but I felt like they softened the cop characters in a way that was just really mystifying to me. Mm. Um, It was just like, uh, it was perplexing to me to have in 1961, an officer Krupke and a Lieutenant Shrank who are like, you know, they're interested in stopping gang violence, but I think ultimately sort of seem like, I mean, Shrank ultimately seems like sort of like a self-interested racist prick. You know, he's, he's not, uh, you know, malicious, pure evil, but it, I think it's a an interesting uh, portrayal of a highly cynical and not overly ethical like police lieutenant. And I felt like they made him more sympathetic. Like I feel like in the new version, it was a little more like these kids should really listen to this guy. And Officer Krupke became this like sort of harried sitcom dad cop. And yeah. I was like, it, I, I think that these filmmakers are, you know, 
I trust them to have not done that accidentally. I think they must have made a conscious sort of liberal decision to say, like, the dialogue around policing is too acrimonious right now. Let's soften the cops a little. And I guess I can respect that impulse, but I don't. I don't agree with it. You know, I, I, that's not personally how I would have, what I would have yeah. done with those characters. I probably would have kept them how they were in the original, which I thought was pretty suitable. Um, so these are some of the, some of the, the things that I kind of like, and I just threw out a bunch real fast, but those are some of the things that I would say like, okay, I see what you did, but I thought it was not overly effective. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, so I'll, I'll kind of go <laughs> one by one, please, and, and and kind of explore what you're saying because I think a lot of it makes sense. I mean, I I, th- I think what's interesting is that like when when they move one hand, one heart, and it becomes its like first date. I think it's almost to like in response to people being like they fall in love too fast. Yeah, but totally. Um, I but I I feel like there's something lost by not having it as the the, the mock marriage. Mm-hmm. Am I having it at this at the cloisters? Um, but you know that doesn't really. I mean that doesn't really bother me so much. I mean I think that um, I, I I think it's the kind of thing where um, because they're making Maria not a you know a dressmaker or not like a not working at a dress shop, but right, she's working. Right. So it's like they had to move. It's like. Because they don't they don't have the dress shop set anymore. They had to move a lot of stuff around. Yeah, um, and that makes sense. And also, like you also want to like, um, I understand the impulse to like move characters out of the same you know six sets. They want to like show open it up more and do more. Yeah. That I mean, that's an impulse that I think every kind of stage to screen adaptation has. Which I don't. I think audiences who might not be into live theater like you and I are might be might feel claustrophobic of you know yeah. these few locations um but I definitely think that the pool number is also just about like the deconstruct the destruction of the friendship that Riff and Tony had mm-hmm. and how like Tony is at this place in his maturity where or at least he thinks he's too mature to be involved in this and that that like he can rationalize this with Riff and I think that Riff just isn't there yet and it's just about their like the um the, the breakdown of their relationship and how they're just in two different places and that like um that this gun is sort of a sort of a, a metaphor object of mm-hmm. you know like trying to be like um you know you don't have to do this but riff's like i gotta do this um yeah so that and, and i think it's also to kind of put more of a, a bow on their on their friendship um and um, uh, regarding the cops, I mean, so I, I, I think the, 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 the genius thing about this adaptation is that it becomes, it's much more explicitly about gentrification. Mm-hmm. So I actually saw this movie in the neighborhood that it takes place in, which is very oh. surreal. 
um there's a shot of 60th and broadway like the street sign and like that's what the theater is literally and i feel Whoa. like they they put in that street signs for this specific theater so that people can who see the movie there are like oh wow and like you know they show like the plans for lincoln center and like right out of the theater is lincoln center yeah i love um, that touch when it and, when it shows that it's going to be lincoln center where like future yeah. Broadway goers. I thought that was that was brilliant. So, and I think what I find really interesting about the cops in this movie, and also just about this like war between the gangs, is that I think the cops kind of know that ultimately this gang war means nothing because everyone's getting pushed out at some mm-hmm. point in the near future, and they all did. Um, and that, like, what I love about the production design in this movie is that like all the rubble. And the bulldoze buildings and all that. I mean, it looks like a war zone. Yeah. You know, like um, for some reason, I thought of, uh, I mean, this is so stupid, but I thought of like the first Wonder Woman movie, you know, the No Man's mm-hmm. Land sequence when they're in that village and like yeah. afterwards, just all this like crumbled buildings and all that. That's what it reminded me of. I mean, obviously, that's not the first or last movie, <laughs> but that's just the immediate, I guess, the immediate reference I had. But totally. Um, just this idea of like, I think Shrank and Krupke are just resigned to the fact that like, you know, especially the Jets, like they have the option to, they, I mean, if anyone have the option to get out of this neighborhood and to like actually make something of themselves and that they're fighting this useless war over this ground that's not even going to be theirs for, you know, for a long time. I think it's almost like not... I wouldn't say it's like, let's pull back the cops. I think it's let's show that like the cops are almost resigned to let this gang war happen mm-hmm. because, or try, they, they try to stop it, but not because of the gangs, but just because like, what's the point? Um, yeah. I've only seen the movie once. So maybe this is sort of like conjecture or speculation on my part that doesn't hold up on rewatch, but that was just my, my, my take on the movie is that like, Ultimately, everything in this movie is doomed. The romance is doomed. The turf war is doomed because everything's going to be changing in like five years or, you know, whatever those plans start. Yeah. And it's very, I mean, it, it's, it, at first it was cool to be like, oh, wow, I'm watching a movie in this neighborhood. And then it made me really sad because I'm like, all these like Puerto Ricans that moved to this neighborhood, they all got pushed out. Yeah. And that even, and that like, I mean, what do you think about Chino, right? Like, Chino is like, he, did you watch The Sopranos? No, it's uh, I, it's so funny because I almost like started the first episode like yesterday. Yeah, no, I have not watched it yet. Well, there's this character. I mean, there's this character in like um, I think season three who's like, you know, the Tony Soprano is like this is the kid that that can get out. I mean, even like Meadow Soprano, like she's like the the golden one that can like get out. She has the brains for it. She has mm-hmm. the drive for it. And the tragedy of the Sopranos, that all these characters that could get out just get sucked back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the tragedy of this movie too, which is like Chino is like, they make a note of him saying he's going to school. He has this career as an adding machine repair guy. I don't, is that mm-hmm. a calculator? I don't really know what adding I machine is. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's like, a, it's what the accountants use. Right. Yeah. yeah. Producers. So like, and even he gets trapped in this cycle of violence. Um, yeah. Same same with Maria too. I like where... the touch that Chino is not is explicitly not one of the sharks. He's yeah. like just a guy that they know, and Bernardo tries to keep him out, but he kind of forces his way in. So yeah, yeah. What they do and, with Chino in this movie, love it. 
And then it's like arranged marriage between Chino and Maria. Like they have a little fun together. Mm-hmm. He's not some like, you know, macho jerk that's just trying to control her. Like he actually like they like in an alternate universe, like they could have like a, a nice, cute little marriage. Totally. You know? He's just she, like the he's like the James Marsden character in like every other. He's just like he's a nice guy. He's perfectly nice. He's just not the one. That she's yeah, to. and he's also almost a victim as much yeah. as Maria is, as much as Tony is. Um, I think what attracted Spielberg to this is that like there's like this weird hopelessness to this movie, mm. and like um, I always think of like Spielberg's sort of like post 9/11, you know, output of like Minority Report, AI, War of the Worlds, which is just like grim Munich. Yeah. It's a very grim set of films that I think yeah, he I thought about that. Yeah. Um, and I think West Side Story for it being a like bright, beautiful, romantic musical, I think it's a pretty grim movie, especially this version of it, which is like even more like um, grounded in, in like real, you know, social, political, like actual tangible themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right about that. And I do think the way in which it really wants to, dig into the sort of like politics of a lot of what's going on is interesting and and is like, you know, frankly, like a, like a a lot of that stuff is like at the forefront now in our conversation. So it makes sense to be like, let's get a little, let's dig into, you know, gentrification and racism and things. I think sometimes I bristle at, you know, some of the like, some of the discourse that's like they made West, they made the new West Side Story about gentrification and racism, and it's like, well, it was it was already about those yeah, yeah, things. Of course, just, of so of course, like you know, this is not you know I, that actually doesn't that isn't a fault of it. I guess may, there are one or two times when I'd say it gets. I think it just uses like slightly too heavy a hand, sure. but then again, like this is a family movie that or it's not a family movie, but probably this will be watched by loads of families on, you know, the upcoming Christmas holiday, et cetera, provided they feel safe going to the movie theater, which is not a guarantee, but um, like leaving that aside, I can appreciate going a little heavy handed, even taking a tone that to, to those of us who are sort of like constantly on twitter.com discussing these things. uh, It might seem a little like, I would say for instance, the, the stuff surrounding the character of anybody's who's kind of an interesting puzzle who's been in all the productions is, you know, essentially like usually played as like, uh, I guess you'd say a tomboy is yeah. like sort of explicitly made a trans man played by, I think a, a non-binary uh, musical theater actor in this one or film actor. Um, I think that to my taste, they do hit that nail a little hard on the head. And there's a, there's a line where, yeah, probably the, the guiltiest party here is like whichever person said, maybe it's the cinematographer said that when I think it's Ice, the lieutenant, or maybe it's Diesel, is like, you did good, buddy boy. And there's this like like dramatic like camera punch in on him before he says it, like, oh my God. <laughs> and I think it just like is like, okay, I get it, I get it. But I'd say I was like, even if I have some issues with the execution, I think like that was a cool it was cool for the script to highlight that character and their yeah. sort of like, uh, like complicated dysmorphic place in the gender world of the fifties. I thought that was a neat choice to definitely. To, to look yeah, at. for sure. And I thought that it was really like, 
again, just a, a, a cool little update and made something that's a little, that was like implied and sort of hush hush into something more like, I hate to use this word, but like canon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, well, it's definitely, definitely canon now. Yeah. I, I do want to talk about the romances in this movie, you know, Tony and Maria. I mean, we touched a little bit about their like date, but I really love their, okay. So I love their flirtation at the dance, even though it missed, like I, I miss the like you know the lights fading out and, mm-hmm. and all that, um, but I loved how much like how funny it was, it was a little it was funny it was cute and like Maria had a lot more agency in that like she like was like pursuing Tony in, mm-hmm. in, in a way which I thought to be really interesting because um, I feel like in these you know whenever you kind of have this like sort of like worldly guy young girl <laughs> dynamic is always like how much is she really like you know, pers- pursuing this guy and how much is it like, yeah. He's like how well actively- is the power. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. What did you think about like, about their, their scenes together, Tony Maria this time around? Like, did you like have any trouble buying the romance or were you on board with it? I think that moment you're highlighting was really great. Um, I, I also, it's funny, I had this like immediate bristling of like, oh, why do they have to just like, wh- wh- like, why do we have to miss the way this was staged before? But that's one where like, they go behind the bleachers, which actually like is fascinatingly like a practical real life way of achieving the same thing. Like suddenly there are little twinkling lights because they're shining through the bleachers and they still yeah. are kind of like in this dark place. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was really clever. And the changes to the dialogue there I totally liked them. I felt like they were honestly, they went a little bit more. They, they, those hewed a little closer to the, um, the like actual Romeo and Juliet first introduction, this like, Oh, you kiss by the book, but they kind of switched it where she kisses him first. Yeah. I thought that was great. And I also really liked uh, tonight, the balcony scene. I think, like his like climbing up the um the fire escape yeah was cool i thought i liked all of that stuff quite a lot as i mentioned i had some issues with the the sort of like the next day stuff for them um but i was bought in although frankly like yeah i guess they don't have that many scenes together so it's really kind of like they kind of really have like three big ones. They meet, they have their balcony scene. They, well, no, they have four because he comes to her after the rumble. Right. Um, yeah. But for whatever reason, that one didn't make a huge impression on me in the film. It's like, I would love to have been in the room with Tony Kushner as he's writing that scene after the rumble. Cause I wanted to like, I felt like they rushed it because I knew that you just like, there's really no way around Maria, like, you know, forgiving him, yeah, of of her brother's murder. Like, there's there's just no way to do it. I think they just kind of like made it like a one page scene where she just has one line, and then you're just like, okay, we just got to move on. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I was starting to be. I was like, as I was trying to talk about it, I was like, I just really don't remember it. I guess it must have. It must have just gone by fast. Yeah, it was, um, it was fast. I think, I think her line is like, if you let them. If you let them take you away from me, how can I forgive you for that? Hmm. And I was like, that that's it. And she's like, yeah. okay, I guess, all right, I guess we're, we're, we're doing it. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and like I, again, it, it's like a really, um, I, I really like this count this counterpart of Bernardo and Nita who have this like lived in chemistry together, and you know, in this movie, like they, it's really explicit that they like live together and they like have this like they they are a family unit in a mm-hmm. much more explicit way, and they all pay rent together. They all pay rent together, right? And. Yeah. Um, Again, like we have Maria having so much agency where she's like, I work, I contribute to the household. Like, these are my dreams. I took care of our dad while you were gone in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this like, again, like they think they really did so much to make Maria like a really three-dimensional, believable character. And that yeah. performance just also knocks it out of the park. Yeah. And it, it really helps to give her, I mean, that like, there's a scene where she... I love, by the way, the scene where she like wakes up in her party dress on the bed <laughs> yeah, yeah. and has this like, it's a piece of music that I think is taken from like a, a an act two ballet, but they just kind of put it there and make it this like solo getting dressed, like hiding the evidence that you didn't sleep in your bed yeah. moment, which is so cute and so charmingly acted by her. Yeah. But that follows, or that, that is followed by a sort of a scene with her and Bernardo and Anita where we learn a lot of those things that you're talking about and that like just giving her time with them really fleshes out sort of who she is. I mean, she has her first scene with Anita in the 61, which does a lot of work, but I think actually like she's kind of separate from them for a lot of the 61 music. It's like, she's like, they go do America and like have the scene leading up to that, which I think, I'm pretty sure she does not participate in. Um, so I liked that as they gave all those characters more, it like did more for her and made her, you know, fleshed out her character. But I don't think, I don't think they lost some of the things we were talking about Natalie Wood having, where it's this sort of like slightly larger than life, um, like pure romantic, like pure hearted, just radiating, like, love and goodness i think she still channeled all those things in a way that felt felt believable yeah yeah and i think by fleshing out this little family unit um it just like has the effect of like keeping maria not like involved in like the gang story in a sense where like i feel like in in some ways like in the 1961 version like she's so separate from it Mm-hmm. And it feels like she's in a totally different planet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and here it's like, she's like involved in it. She's like, and even on the subway, I think she's really reckoning with the fact that like this love story could have consequences for, for everyone. And I think, mm-hmm. I don't recall that in the original. Um, I feel like they, I think they talked about it a little bit. I feel like in this one, she re- it really weighs on her. Um, and uh, I do wanted to, I, I did want to ask you about um yeah like how they uh i know we talked a little about like the the place of i feel pretty but like what do you think about like the staging of it because i thought that was also different i i liked it uh i liked it 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 is another one where they layered something new on top of it and it was really about particularly like a a uh, consumer-based American dream. Just having them go through this sort of like dream home landscape yeah. filled with these like blonde white mannequins and 
see the sort of like, this could all be yours that like obviously can't be theirs because they're all like cleaning it as the maids, I think is a, is a powerful image. Um, I don't know if I think that serves that song. Well, it just, it just creates something new out of that song. Whereas I think all that song traditionally is, is um, her just like, feeling like just being in love, just being like, I'm in love and it feels great to be in love. I mean, it's kind of like, a, you know, the uh, in love with a wonderful guy from, oh shit, what? South Pacific? South Pacific, right? yeah, right. Kind of similar, um, similar yeah. thing. But this layers on another sort of political commentary. Um, I, I feel like I, my thoughts may become clearer on another watch, like whether I think that's a good thing to layer on. Um, you know, it's kind of similar to the song G officer Krupke, which is a song I've always just adored. I think is so funny and such a good little, like a uh, bit of like um, smart Alex social commentary, as well as like giving the jets a chance to be at their like most playful. Uh, I was like most prepared to kind of like harumph at it if they like made that not funny. And I think they did a really good job and it was funny it is another scene where i think they layered on more stuff possibly unnecessarily like this whole there's like an extra story going on there about baby john like not knowing how to participate and then learning to participate and i was like i wasn't sure about all that but like at least it was funny um but yeah so i i feel pretty i'm fine with the placement and i am intrigued by what they chose to add to it and um, and I would have to sort of like wait and see if I think that was like ultimately a net gain or a net loss. Although, although like, you know, the fundamental center of it is still performed extremely well by Rachel Ziegler. So like yeah. you still get emotionally what I think it needs to do. That definitely gets done well by her. This thing really chilling about Officer Krupke, um, which I want to mention before I forget um, to go mm-hmm. back to that, is that there's that um, the woman at the station with them, mm-hmm. and she locks herself in a cell. Yeah, and um, I that when she did that, I, I she must be a, I think she must be like a, a prostitute, I guess, yeah, uh, I, I or guess something like that. But I guess that's the implication. When when she did that, I like sent a chill down my spine because I was like, oh, wow. Like she knows that there's like a definite potential for her to be harassed in some way with a bunch of like rowdy gang, you know, gang members um, without any authority there um, to stop them. And to me, it was like, um, it was foreshadowing of, uh, of the Anita sequence later, which I found to be extremely unsettling. Um, and like graphic, like even without even like anything, even without the actual thought being, uh, perpetrated, like it could stop right in time, but it's unsettling because yeah, I mean, the way they stage it with, you know, Graziella and, uh, who's who's the other jet girl, Graziella and, uh, Velma, Velma. Yeah. Then being thrown out and banging on the window, and I mean, it's horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, and I and I so like Jeff. I mean, like Jeff Krupke, 
I'm like, this is very charming and funny, but I'm also like, you know, this woman recognized, you know, the danger that she could have been in. Um, mm-hmm. And that like, again, like, I think like with this movie being more of a like, you know, gritty version, I think it's almost like Spielberg kind of playing with this idea of like, yeah, these guys are like, you know, cute, you know, everyone finds these guys attractive, they're whatever, but like also like they're violent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Their violence should not be, not for a second should not be undermined or underestimated. Yeah. That's an interesting thing in, in, in holding it in like sort of like holding them accountable for that dynamic in that moment. Cause I, I admit like, I do not, I think of G officer Krupke as kind of being the jets like most sympathetic moment because they're just sort of playing with each other. They're not fighting anybody. And they are essentially making the claim that, you know, again, not to constantly refer to topics that are being discussed on Twitter, but like that I think some millennials can identify with, with the like the immense frustration of saying like, you are asking us to hold ourselves to a high standard of accountability right, right, for how we fared in a world where we were set up at every turn to fail. Now, I don't personally feel that I have been set up to fail in the in a way comparable to the, these characters. That's not what I'm saying, but um, but I think that is a really like it's a compelling sort of argument they make. It is like a like it's just sort of like being crass and crude, but also like contains this like deep yeah truth to it. Um, it's an interesting thing to add that in with as you say, like sort of that. A presumptive sex worker woman. I, they didn't. I don't know that they like saw that through. In a way, I don't know. That that would be another thing I would need to like revisit and see how I felt about it. But it's an interesting moment that I had kind of forgotten about until you mentioned it. Um, but it's like it's in there, and again, it's like some decisions I approve of, some decisions I disagree with, but I really trust. Kushner as a writer and Spielberg as a director enough that I'm like, they did intentionally what they did, you know? Right. Yeah. They were going for something with everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that like, when you think about, um, I think it's funny that we're talking about Officer Krupke and Ethel Purdy together, because I think they're like, in some ways, um, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just like reading too much into them, but I feel like there's, they're connected in some way because like they're both extremely playful songs and yeah, especially with, um, I feel pretty being like this, you know, anthem of these like cleaning women mm-hmm. who are like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, trying like just kind of pretending and, and, and play acting as yeah, like, play you know, acting. um, I, I, th- I it's, it's interesting to think about Janusz Krupke where it's like these guys are play acting as all these like, um, cis, you know, institutions that are failing them. Mm-hmm. And even though like Officer Krupke in real life is saying you guys can, you know, you guys are the last of the people that didn't get out. And, but so like they have the option to do it if they wanted to. Whereas like the sharks, I mean, these women and the sharks in general are like, trying their hardest to get out and they're still stuck in the, in the rubble of, of this neighborhood, you mm-hmm. know? And I think, um, was, I think there was a line that I think it must've been Nar Bernardo saying that like, 
the sharks all like they, they they work they have jobs like and we talk about america you know with it being like about this you know the american dream as well and like they are like um it's like they're out there i mean like I think what's interesting about this adaptation West Side Story is that it really highlights this idea that like these are two communities that are being pit against each other by a mm-hmm. system that wants them to create enemies out of each other so that like they don't fight the system. And yeah. Um and I think that like the sharks are like trying really hard to like break out of that system and to do it, but like they just get everyone's just getting caught in these cycles of violence and yeah and misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in all these cases, I like, I think they're, they are finding seeds of ideas that were in the original yeah, story yeah. and choosing to like bring them to the front in the dialogue. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see because I'm so fresh on it. Like you, I just have one viewing and like, you know, that, that viewing, like, the, the the process of like judging these choices was something where first I had to just like even like see them and process them and I also was like being swept up in like the spectacle and like hearing this music for the first time in a long time so I am very curious to see just how my like second third fourth fifth eventual viewings of this yeah movie yeah go yeah and yeah. you know that kind of brings me to like my last point um or last like question i want to ask you about is like i was like ready to be here and be like oh which one do you like better you know but i feel like it's i don't for me it's like impossible to say which one is better because like i think they they're in conversation with each other too much for me to say i like one or the other mm-hmm. um i think it'll be uh i mean i think that like both movies to me are just like well-crafted to an technical level and they're both like the way that they're different the way they're similar just I don't, they, to me they're always going to be existing side by side I just mm-hmm. I don't think I could ever say one overtakes the other um, I mean the only thing is that like I will have to watch the new one like a million times to catch up but <laughs> <laughs> that's right um, but I was going to have the same thought or you firmly like the original is you know still the best I think as kind of as you were saying, like the original is the original to me. Yeah. And it is the one, it will always be the one that I have had a longer relationship with. It will always be one that represents an era of filmmaking that I find really beautiful. Um, I think visually I will continue to be drawn to that. I think for the reasons we talked about, like, some of the things, there are many things that the 2021 film offers that you just cannot get in the original. It's just not there, um, mm-hmm. particularly in terms of like actually exploring, you know, the Latino experience in a meaningful way. Um, I, I, I do think that, yeah, we will have them both in conversation with each other. I think probably yeah i mean the original has been i don't have a concretely defined current 10 favorite movies but the last couple times i did that it was on there and i don't think that the new one will crack that top 10 but i look forward to 
continuing to watch it, I find there's a lot about it that has me interested. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll see how they continue to interplay with each other, you know, cause like things just, things just go up and down, things move around. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. So before we finish up here, is there anything last minute you wanted to bring up any, um, you know, scene you wanted to, you know, mention from either film or moment or musical number that you just had to give a shout out to? Um, Gosh, I'm sure they're going to continue to occur to me. Um, I feel that the the new one, you know, as as we were just sort of saying, they're in conversation with each other. I think they're also in conversation with all the adaptations of Romeo and Juliet, Um, like that you kiss by the book moment we sort of mentioned. Yeah. Um, As well as like... uh, uh, Riff's death in the new one where he like he gets sad then he kind of laughs a little mm-hmm. and behaves like it's going to be fine that kind of brings in some Mercutio stuff um, I just think that uh, the story of Romeo and Juliet is a great one a beautiful one one that despite having been told so many times is still worth telling and I will always have a deep fondness for it. And I like all of these things that are exploring it. So yeah, that's kind of all I'd have to say at this point. Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to echo that. Um, I want to give a yeah, quick shout out to Arna DeBose who plays Anita in, um, in the remake, uh, just because, you know, as we were saying, it's, it's pretty tough role to play after such an iconic performance, but I think she not only lives up to Rita Moreno's portrayal, but also gives it her own and gives it her all. And I think makes an impression. Um, And uh, it's, um, it's quite astonishing. I mean, especially, you know, she's wonderful in, you know, America and at, at the gym and all that. But I mean, again, a boy like that, you know, just you were satisfied. Oh you my were satisfied God. with that new. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm sure you've seen how much I was obsessed with that number, and how just excited I was to see Spielberg direct it. Um, and he, he pulled it off. And Ariana DeBose and Rachel Zegler just. I mean, both of them together in this movie are just outstanding. And if there again, if there's any reason for this movie to exist, it's for those two lead performances. Um, you know, that's enough for me to justify a remake of a, of a classic Oscar winning, you know, influential movie musical. Sure. Um, well, Ned, thank you so, so much for, um, for being here. I remember you and Caroline did a, an episode like this on In the Heights way back in the summer. And mm-hmm. I love listening to that. So it was really great to be able to participate um, thank you. In, in an episode like that. So thanks so much. Please let listeners know more about your podcast and where they can find you online. Yeah. So um, I'm on the twitter.com. If that wasn't clear at this point, then I don't know how. Um, at Ned, 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 just NED four times in a row. Um, and moreover, our podcast is at, at Roll Calling. That's R O L E, uh, where we pick an actor and then we just do five episodes discussing uh, each episode, a new movie, uh, a movie that that actor has done. Um, it's been very fun. Uh, Dev Patel cycle was uh, one of my faves. That was the one that uh, where Manish and I met each other. Um, but we've had a lot of fun with that. We're taking a little holiday break and I expect we'll be back next year. Um, so 
Yeah, it's been a very fun project. It's my first year in podcasting and I'm really like, I'm loving doing it and I'm loving actually like starting to meet people yeah. sort of in that world. That's like- really, Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Really fun. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's it's a real treat. Uh, I was, I you know, I did a little Yelp when uh, I received your first message. I was very <laughs> excited to be invited here and it's been a pleasure chatting with you about these two great movie musicals. Yes, um, thank you so much again. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at vertigate314. Also, you can follow the podcast at It Pod to Be You. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show uh, to help people find the show um, as well. Um, I am not sure if uh, how much I'm not sure how much of this uh, revival of the podcast will continue beyond this. Um, I did want to talk about licorice pizza on the podcast at some point when it becomes more widely available to people. Um, but yeah, so look out for that probably in the next month or so, whenever that goes wide. Um, yeah, Ned, thanks again. And listeners, thanks for listening. Um, please go see West Side Story if you feel comfortable doing so. Um, if not, you know, it'll be available streaming very soon. Um, but watch it whenever you can, however you can, because it's quite a it's quite a treat for the eyes. Um, thanks again. I feel dizzy, <laughs> I feel sunny, I feel busy and funny and fun, and so pretty, Miss America can just resign. La, 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 la. See that pretty girl in that middle What mirror or where? Can that attractive girl be? What, where, who? Such a pretty face, who? such a pretty dress, who? such a pretty smile. Dancing, dancing, feel like running, feel like running and dancing for joy for us.